Hi folks, and welcome back to our Little Women podcast. It's me, uh, Shannon Camp, back with you once again. And with me here today is my returning guest, as well as co-producer of this show, Sammy Campbell. Hi, I'm so glad to be here again. I'm so glad to have you. It just, it feels like coming home when we podcast together. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, let's, let's, let's chat. Let's cozy up and chat. I feel like, oops, I just dropped something. Um, <laughs> I feel like uh, the boys are back in town. Should be ironically playing whenever we podcast yes. together. Yes, exactly. Getting the gang back together. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, of course, I have you here today because it's time to talk about a subject that's very near and dear to both of our hearts. Uh, The new 2019 Greta Gerwig written and directed version of Little Women. Yay! I'm so excited to talk about it. I I love the movie. I saw it twice. Yes. I'm excited to talk about it. I've seen it four times. Uh, Okay. I would expect nothing less. It's been quite therapeutic for me in some ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I wanted to say before we get started with this convo, just as a little introduction for our listeners, uh, this is just going to be me and Sammy talking about our opinions about the movie. It's not going to be us synthesizing every critical take on Little Women or this version of Little Women because... There are already so many. Uh, It would not be the Little Women podcast if we didn't have a cat interruption. We have multiple (laughs) different cats meowing on recording. Yeah. (laughs) He just, he will meow all night if I don't Uh, send my spray a scary can of air at him. That was Sammy's Um. black cat Spooky. And I'm sitting with my white cat Luna, which just goes to show what like sister witches we are. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We are the yin and yang. Anyway, uh, (laughs) as I was saying, it's just going to be our takes on it. And we're not trying to have hot takes. Uh, There are so many great articles about this movie out there. Um, We'll definitely link to some of them in our show notes blog, which you can find on littlewomenpodcast.com. But yeah, uh, suffice to say, there will be spoilers if you're someone (laughs) who's listening along uh, and the modern story is new to you and you don't want to be spoiled. Um, I don't know how you made it this far, but... (laughs) Yeah, I'm shocked and amazed at your your ability. That's cool. Uh, We uh, we will be talking about, like, what scenes get included and what scenes don't. So if that's something you don't want to know, which is totally fine, shut this Mm -hmm. off now, and we'll be back later this week with more content. So that's what's up. Anyway, um, Sammy, I'll let you kick things off with just your first thoughts sure um so the things that i enjoyed the most about the film um was really um first of all it it looked gorgeous and it looked there was kind of this this hue about it that made it feel like a memory you know when you were when you were watching um when you were watching it and i thought that the my especially my favorite thing was um the choices that Gerwig made with the narrative um where she had kind of Joe closer to the end of the novel like Joe as an adult and then reflecting on herself as a child and on her sisters as a child because I think that um 
very often when uh, the story is told in a linear fashion, kind of the way that it is in a novel, it it can people can get stuck on their impressions of certain characters as they were when they were children and let that color the way they feel about them for their whole lives. Certain characters, <laughs> no one's Amy. names. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I and so I felt like this was, a, 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 especially for Amy, like very redeeming in that you get to see Amy as an adult and who she becomes alongside who she was as an annoying little sister <laughs> and um and realizing you know that all of these people are are very complex uh I, that that was my favorite thing among many favorite things i absolutely agree that the non-linear structure really worked wonders um <clears throat> i've heard that it might have been a little bit confusing at first for people who were mm -hmm. new to the world of the story but I think even if you can't pinpoint the precise timeline it doesn't really matter we sort of have right. these golden tones of the quote-unquote past and the cold blues mm -hmm. of the oh unforgiving present so <laughs> yeah that definitely worked for me in a major way um, I thought one of the best things that the non-linear timeline did besides redeem Amy, although I've, a, I'm a lifelong Amy apologist, so you know I'm going to say yes, she never yes. needed to be redeemed. Um, <laughs> yes. But besides that, I think the non-linear timeline did wonders for the romantic relationships in the story. Like, Absolutely. I think the strong point of every version of Little Women to a certain extent is the relationships of the sisters. Hi, Spooky! He's, he's absolutely cracking me up. Um, yeah. He's a very talkative boy. And as you heard, if you listen to our crossover episode with Excessively Diverted, if the relationship between the sisters isn't there, then the movie fails inherently. Right. right. But, um... I thought that this version really elevated the romantic relationships by showing that, like, Joe had this foundation with Professor Bear that felt really authentic and, like, based on mm -hmm. shared interests and a really unique balance of differing personalities. And they showed that Amy had always been in love with Lori and there had always kind of been this sort of maybe I don't know what even to call it like not really flirtation but like affection between them yeah yeah definitely and forgive me dear listeners I'm trying so hard not to burp right now <laughs> well, I talk that, about that is podcasting things. in a not in a nutshell is talking into an amplified thing and uh trying not to burp it's yes like that's my it's life. my personal cross to bear <laughs> so i i'm very privileged um uh, but also to a lesser extent just because they someone had to get less screen time and it was meg and john but to a lesser yes. extent it also did a nice thing with their relationship where it kind of showed how that evolved over time uh, so yeah, I was just really impressed by it. The first time I watched it, I didn't cry. I was like laughing with happiness because yeah. I was just so happy. I have to say as a huge fan of the book who's been, you know, as you all know, because you're listening to this podcast, who's been immersed in it, researching, reading, working through it for the past year, uh, mm -hmm. I was 
amazed by how many minor incidents from the narrative made their way into this movie. Like, yes. Oh my gosh, in terms of ground covered, it was astonishing. Mhm. Yeah. My favorite touch was the um the plastering of the Yes. Feet. Um <laughs> Yes. And her whole thing about having nice feet. Oh, I thought that was so cute. <laughs> because it is such an it's a it's such a funny Amy thing, you know. Um It's it's so great. That and I loved her great. burning the pages of the novel one by one because that's so different yes. from throwing the whole bundle into the fireplace. Yes, and just like it really you could tell by the way that she's holding herself that she's really enjoying the dramatic figure that she's cutting yes. as she you know as she burns the page oh. and um as a as a former you know child drama queen myself i really um did did relate to that in amy um <laughs> I recognized myself in in those moments a little bit. It was very evocative later, too, when Joe burnt her own writing, also kind of going through page by page, notebook by notebook, which is just like, oh, you know, that took her years to write by hand. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I like if my computer broke down and I lost these scripts that I've written you know these handful of short scripts I've written digitally over the past nine months I would have a mental breakdown right Right. absolutely and and I thought um you know kind of speaking of Joe um I think that Joe is uh it's interesting because and and we were talking a little bit before the recording um that this is very much told from Joe's perspective um and so that kind of had an effect of it changed the way um i saw a lot of the characters and and the way that a lot of the characters were framed and narratively but it also you know i i think a little bit joe wasn't like constantly like the main super laser focus of the thing even though she's like the star of the whole deal it's i i didn't feel like the movie was as much about joe as some adaptations can tend to be yes i think like things like the musical which i really enjoy and i think has some great songs and the 1994 version which listeners will know we grew up being huge fans of yes um i think a lot of versions do hyper focus in on joe and that's part of the reason people will act like Amy is a villain. And I'm like, if you read the book, there are many chapters where she is the point of view protagonist. Like, right. we're in Europe with her or whatever on any other misadventure. Of course, the pickled lime saga. Who could forget? <laughs> yes. Who could forget? But she, like, <laughs> truly is our point of entry for the world. And we see things through her eyes. For better or for mm-hmm. worse, because of course in the pickled limes <laughs> chapter, Louisa May Alcott's prejudice against the Irish people does come out. But that's another <laughs> yes. topic for another bonus episode. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, and I think that uh, another thing, another note that I will just add that uh, is kind of my other, you know, the the thing that really struck me, especially in the first time I viewed it, was that it. Um, it really showed how much joy 
uh, is brought to people outside of a family when they're around a family who like really love each other and are welcoming to to allow other people into that space. Um, and I found the March family really inspiring in this adaptation in a way that I hadn't experienced them before and that, you know, they have, you know, these kind of lonely people who are next door and, um, and you know, people who are really impoverished in their community. And um, not only do they lend their time, but they lend their presence and they are themselves around around those people and they the people feel like you know Lori um and grandpa Lawrence like feel a lot of joy just from being around like sisters pushing each other around and them letting in them on the joke and Marmy saying call me Marmy everyone does oh, you know it's like that was so you're amazing. in my family oh. you know just as soon as you show up and and I really really love that I cannot handle the grandfather Lawrence stuff in this movie. <laughs> no, Chris Cooper should be prosecuted rough. for how good of a job he did. It yes. is emotional. I mean, I think the whole movie is so beautiful. The funny thing is, like I said, the first time I watched it, I fully just experienced the joy. I mean, obviously, I'm not complete sociopath I felt sad during the sad <laughs> moments, but I was right. too overwhelmed with excitement because. I have to admit, I'm, I had so much faith in Greta Gerwig. I've always been a huge fan of hers, and I love everyone mm -hmm. who's involved in this movie, including literally a friend of ours who worked on this movie. Yeah. Um, And I knew I would love it, but I really felt like I needed everyone else to love it, too. I know that's really, <laughs> yeah. like, childish <laughs> and shallow and immature no, in some ways, it. but, like... This story yeah. is so important to me. I needed that to be validated on some level by this huge, in some ways, blockbuster potential version of it. So then when mm -hmm. it was this huge critical and commercial success and I was like, other people love these characters and find value in this story, I felt like really gratified by that because of the values that this story espouses. Right. I think one of the most interesting things that I hadn't even thought about the first couple of times I watched the movie that one of the articles that we read for today's podcast pointed out is um, in order to go help the Hummels, who are this starving German family living in this totally uninsulated shack in the woods, uh, mm -hmm. there's a shot of the March family walking past church and everyone else is going mm -hmm. into church and they're going past to right. potentially actually do the more Christian act of actually giving, you know, like you said, service and time and presence. Um, and right. they really connect with this family, too. Like, you see the girls finding, like, genuine joy and humor in moments with the, the young children. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I just felt really encouraged generally by the response to the movie. And I, th I mean, it is so good and it's so well made, of course. I don't want to, like, discount that and make it seem like oh, people would love this no matter what because it's such a great story. Like, that's clearly not right. the case. Again, see our episode about the Marsh Sisters at Christmas. <laughs> right. But, yes. But oh, God. <laughs> I really do think there is something to, like, a story about gentleness and compassion and tenderness mm -hmm. in these trying times. Yes. 
I totally agree with you there. And I think that, um, you know, it, it really just, uh, uh, my big takeaway from the first viewing and then kind of, I was able to put it into words in the second viewing is that I felt like, um, I felt like the underlying like vibe of the movie and of the story as, as it's adapted here is, um, like you can be of greatest help to others when you're just true to yourself, you know? And, um, and I feel like that is especially important in, in Joe's arc, you know? Um, and the way that she was able to, um, find, uh, find her her voice in her own life story and in something that she felt like maybe wasn't sensational enough to sell but she just had to write it and she couldn't hold it anymore you know um those scenes where she's writing the novel of little women is are so amazing like transformative character work in my mind Uh, like and it's so like how do you make a character writing visually interesting that is so hard the image of like all the pages in the attic with the candles was genius because otherwise what yeah. do you have besides Joe sitting <laughs> right. there writing <laughs> right so, and her like switching them around and staring at them and you know writing and looking at them all and writing little you know notes in the margins and like things from this chapter and yes. that chapter and um, I loved it. And I mean, um, especially in the second half of the movie or what we'll call the present, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, there was so much that really drew on Louise May Alcott's life, which, of course, is double dipping because Joe herself right. was Lou, is Lou, is Louise right. May Alcott. <laughs> but right. they really directly drew on Louise May Alcott's life and her kind of churning out little women the first half. Uh is mm-hmm. absolutely something that happened and then happened again yeah. for the second half because of the huge success of the first half and the commercial demand, which right. we can imagine will happen because of those cute little girls bothering Tracy yeah. Letts. Like, who, what happened to the little women? <laughs> I saw Tracy Letts, one of our greatest living American playwrights at a screening <laughs> of Bug, and I was like, it's Mr. Dashwood from Little Women. <laughs> <laughs> I that's awesome. I wish that were a joke, but I was just yeah. like fantasizing about him having mutton chops again. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, but let's put on our film nerd hats because I want to talk yeah. about a couple of things that I thought were just like so exceptionally striking. Mm-hmm. Mainly having to do with Joe and Beth and Joe and Friedrich. Okay. Uh, the transition from like the happy past beach scene to the present cold beach scene um, with mm-hmm. like the voiceover of that po- of that poem over it mm-hmm. is so beautiful. Like <laughs> yes, and was such a strong choice and. That really low shot of uh, Joe and Beth holding each other on the beach as the sand is sort of dragged away by the wind and it feels like they're on very impermanent ground. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah, and so affecting. I I, I really um, 
because they're and and in that scene they're they're talking about kind of or they're kind of both in their own ways dealing with how they can't neither of them can escape or help the other escape death yeah (laughs) and um so it's like you know it it's like the world is slipping away around them and beth is peaceful and joe is not you know and it's it's really really beautiful and at joe is laying with her head in beth's lap and beth is kind of holding up Beth kind of is holding her, her protectively yeah. it's it's yeah it was such a strong and striking choice and it's one that's reversed when they're laying in bed together and joe is holding on to beth that way um yeah so amazing and of course i feel like for years for years we're going to be talking about uh the reveal of beth's passing in this movie with the sort of framing of the breakfast table and how mm-hmm. uh, yes. Marmy, as expertly played by Laura Dern, uh, shifts her body the first time to reveal that Beth is well and she's there getting fed by Hannah and the second mm-hmm. time to reveal that no one is there. And oh my gosh, I'm literally choking up just talking and her about fa- it. And her face in that oh. scene is like so... Because it's like it's like she's held it together until Joe came, down, came downstairs, yeah. you know. And oh my god! And the pure silence that precedes it, like there's no music, mm-hmm. there's nothing, no sounds mm-hmm. in the house. It is, I think it's probably the first time we've ever seen that house silent. Because of course this is juxtaposed yeah. with the return of Father Bob Odenkirk from the war and the yes. hilarious popcorn bowl throw. <laughs> yes, the popcorn bowl throw and everyone running and screaming and talking oh, at once. that was so fantastic. <laughs> I yeah. loved it. Uh, I do want to say we, we focused on some of these heavier moments, obviously, because mm-hmm. uh, they affected us so deeply, but the movie has a lot of humor in it. And I think that the humor that was injected into the Joe and Professor Bear storyline was incredibly effective. Yes. The scene where she's yes. like, the world will just forget you. And she's he's like, you're right. <laughs> Amazing. <okay." laughs> Amazing. Uh, and can I say a kind of an Amy-ish moment for Joe? You know? Yes. But I felt like it was so true to her character of just totally being, true like, to her. Yeah. Uh, how could anyone ever challenge me? <laughs> yes. How dare you? The world will not forget Joe yes. March. Oh, my God. And I just runs out the oh, door. Oh, so good. I loved it. I loved it so much. I loved how another moment I thought was really amazing in terms of like the nonlinear storyline just being so effective. And again, mm-hmm. because I'm going this deep, you could tell I've seen the movie four times. Yes. Uh, yes. Af- Lay it on me. After the... <laughs> incredible Oscar worthy question mark scene where uh, Joe tells Marmy that she's reconsidering Lori's proposal because she's so lonely which mm-hmm. I think is one of my top five scenes in the entire movie I agree. It's so I good. Agree. And it's, I felt it all the way down yeah, to my toes. It, it was so it's good. It's so meaningful to I think so many not just women but people period. Uh, but mm-hmm. maybe especially women. Um, anyway, I totally lost my train of thought. No. After that, uh, so she's having these thoughts about being lonely and being alone. And maybe she should be with Lori because nothing better is going to mm-hmm. come along. And she right. goes and she lays down on her couch and she falls asleep. Again, hashtag relatable. <laughs> A little mm-hmm. stress yep. nap. 
I've had the same day, so it's fine. <laughs> Yell at my mom about being alone forever and then fall asleep fall, on, the, on the couch. Fall asleep angry. But <laughs> check, check. When she's asleep, we cut to, which could be interpreted as her dream, we cut right. to her walking through this, remembering walking through the streets of New York through the first time up to the boarding house. And she walks up the steps and the door opens. And before we can see mm-hmm. who's at the door, she wakes up and Laurie is there. But yeah. then when we see that scene again, it was Professor Bear that opened the door. And it was like yes. their meet yep. cute. So that tells yes. me when she thinks about love and like when she thinks about a soulmate, she is already thinking about this guy. He didn't just yes. conveniently yeah. show up. So it just deepened their yes. relationship so much. It was a really clever little bit of filmmaking. I thought so too. And I feel like... um. I, I think my favorite touch with Professor Bear was um, him uh, visiting and all of them, um, and he, he notices the piano and he can play oh. and he asks if he can play and they're all kind of hesitant at first and then they let him and it's a really good moment for all of them. It's like he's already part of the family, you know? It's like a really um, healing moment for everyone. He doesn't mm-hmm. even know. Yeah. He's just got like... An in- it's so beautiful. Oh. Yeah, I love it. I loved it so much. <laughs> yeah, it was... I really can't say enough good things about pretty much every part of this movie uh, on the mm-hmm. whole. Um, other things people have asked me a lot just because I am such a fan of the book how much of this is made up like as in not mm-hmm. already in the book and the answer right. truly is not very much even some of the stuff yeah. that is fabricated for the movie is like taking something minor from the book and maybe expanding it a little bit or taking something from Louisa May Alcott's life and mm-hmm. throwing it in the mix, which people act like is so crazy in certain Facebook circles, but... Which is just the ni- whatever. Read a book. The 1994 <laughs> version did that too because, mm-hmm. honestly, in the book, the main focus is not her becoming a writer. It's her becoming a school teacher. So right. enjoy that, folks. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm... Uh, so some things that were just totally whole cloth fabricated which sounds like i'm insulting them but totally i'm not mm-hmm. um yeah would be like amy's speech in the painting studio to Lori about why yeah. marriage is an economic proposition and mm-hmm. this felt really natural to me because isn't it basically just making the subtext text yeah yeah it's just you know i i, I think i think that speech is necessary for you know perhaps i i think i think greta gerwig had some uh was savvy about the fact that you know many of the people who'd be seeing the movie maybe wouldn't have be little women readers maybe wouldn't be necessarily period uh period drama or period uh, pieces um fans you know they it may be a new audience who aren't used to watching stories about women in this time period um and I feel like that was an important thing to 
really hit the viewer over the head with you know what i mean i think there were a lot of subtler tricks like the sort Mm -hmm. of gender interplay between Lori and joe with their costumes Mm -hmm. like by the time she accepts her publishing deal she's basically in full drag (laughs) totally (laughs) yeah i loved and like again I'm, i'm absolutely here for it uh but i i will say there are some attempts at injected social commentary that fall a little bit flat in my opinion Mm -hmm. um such as the african-american woman who's a co-volunteer with marmy and they have this conversation and marmy's like i've been ashamed of my country for too long and this woman is like you should still be ashamed of your country and marmy's like (laughs) you're right Uh, yeah that was a weird and I it's not that I disagree with the message I completely agree with the message but in a movie that hasn't made a larger commitment to diversity and or telling the stories of people of color during this time it just falls really flat and sort of feels tokeny yeah so I didn't I also yeah that but it's not that I didn't want diversity I don't want to give people the wrong impression I was just like huh yeah, I felt I felt weird about that scene, especially because like that conversation starts with um, the African American woman coming up to her and saying, "You should go home. You've done so <laughs> you much." You worked so it's like, hard. <laughs> it's like, ooh, this is weird optics on this yeah, one. Yeah, um, and it's immediately followed by a scene from the book of a man who has four yeah. sons because he's sort of like a foil for Marmy because he's a man with four right. sons instead of a woman with four daughters. Gorgeous scene and a total tearjerker. Lovely. But yeah. um, there was another moment that was one of the rare things I think the 1994 movie definitively does better than this movie, which is when the mm-hmm. little girls in school are taunting Amy and they start lecturing her about how the marches benefited from slavery, which, yeah. again, they did. But the little girl lecturing Amy is like seven years old. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's very strange. <laughs> Not that there's a seven-year-old there because it's a one-room schoolhouse, so it would be mixed ages. Yeah. Uh, but in the 1994 movie, it's Meg's friends who make that argument. And uh-huh. they're debutante age, like 16, 17, 18. So that makes complete sense. And they yeah. kind of work it into a conversation about the silk for silk dresses being made by slaves. Right. So it just comes right. up very, very naturally instead of being like, draw Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Right. Well, and it's just like, you know, I think that uh, that Meg's friends are more likely to be economically aware and politically aware. And and I agree. I felt like that was a really weird scene. Um, And 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 I wish like I wish the writing had been a little bit more like this is what a kid would say, because I do think it is sometimes interesting to reflect on like some of the things that kids can regurgitate about politics yeah, um, or what they hear for, from what they hear at home but I feel like it wasn't really written in that way it was it sounded like an adult sentiment coming out of a seven-year-old kid's mouth yeah and I actually loved the girls who were cast as uh Sally and whatever that other girl at the party was i did not keep track yeah. of who from the book it was supposed to be, but the one who lends yes. Meg a dress and starts calling her Daisy. Calls her Daisy, Those actresses yeah. were great, so I would have probably rather shifted that beat to that part. But I do want to, to get back into things we loved, 
loved the whole Meg goes to Vanity Fair sequence. Those costumes. Yes. Oh, my God. Beautiful. <laughs> I do like Fuss and Feathers. Sorry, Lori. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, Lori. She looked great. Since- and I wanted somebody to be there to tell her, hey, you look great. You're doing fine. Just have a good night. Everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. I really, I, I can't say enough good things about how everything from the book was handled honestly yep. however you feel about the original mate- the original material that's new to the movie i thought everything from the book was executed like very very well i mean some of the yep. most famous moments like uh lori's confession to joe were just so visually oh, gorgeous yeah. and striking um, that they'll always stick with me along with the score, which is really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a track on the score called The Daughters of Dr. March, which I appreciate because I think we talked about this. That's the French title of the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we were like, the Daughters of Dr. March. Seriously? They centered the dad of all the <laughs> They characters? centered the dad. He's not yes. even around and he's not a doctor. <laughs> yeah. So yes. uh, there was a track on there called The Daughters of Dr. March, and I got a big awesome. kick out of that. That's a fun little yes. Easter egg. Wow, what a lovely Easter egg. Man, Greta Gerwig did her homework, um, and so did everyone involved. Yes, I completely agree. I think there's a lot of love and passion and effort mm-hmm. that clearly went into this. It wasn't like a slapped together by various studios and a team of 10 screenwriters movie. Yeah, uh, It definitely felt like crafted yeah um so let's wrap up with some final thoughts we do have some other perspectives like i said they'll be linking to in our show notes blog in particular there's a piece i really loved call um an opinion piece from the new york times called the bearable whiteness of little women that sort of Uh um talks about the film's lack of diversity it's written by a woman of color and Uh, She kind of makes the point that just because this movie is saying this is one person's life doesn't mean that the movie is trying to say it's every person's life. But she also talks about her own experiences growing up reading a lot of white characters when she was a young black girl. So I just think it's a really amazing article. And I really loved it. It's a really great piece because I think so many times we want to talk about something like... Uh, the lack of racial diversity in this movie it's so easy to just like use that as a cudgel and be like well you can't talk about the things you liked because this thing about it is bad so we're shutting down the combo sorry right but uh this article sort of helps us maybe use this as kind of a jumping off point for a larger conversation she talks about some historical young women of color who were alive at the same time as the marches and what it might look yeah, like to tell one of their really stories. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I really, really recommend that article. I will try to link to some other different perspectives. I will not engage with hot takes like Slate's Why Amy Still Sucks. Like, no, no. no. We don't need to pit female characters against each other. And Especially sisters. They're yeah, they're sisters. sisters. And they're based on real women who were real sisters who loved each other. Like, yeah. Oh, I can't even get into it because of later episodes. But their relationship is very, very deep and poignant. 
but um mm-hmm. i probably pronounced that wrong i'm sorry you guys i learned all my big words from books so i just say things bad a lot <laughs> um but uh oh what else was i going to say about that though Oh, yeah. Um, a friend of ours, Tracy, friend of the show, Tracy, if you're listening, hey. Mm-hmm. Hey. Um, we were talking about, like, people's reactions to Amy March, and she was saying she was seeing people in, like, period drama Facebook groups who were, had preformed opinions about the story, uh, saying they felt like the movie went, quote, unquote, too easy on her. And I was like, these people, and honestly, I assume they're women, and honestly, I assume they're white mm-hmm. women, and honestly, I assume they're older mm-hmm. white women, <laughs> based mm-hmm. on the comments yeah. we get on our Facebook ads. Yes. I think these <laughs> people need to examine why they need a young woman to be punished for not being perfect. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I run and because of the podcast that I do, I run in a lot of um, Jane Austen fan circles. And it's the same with Emma and Lydia Bennett. And it is uh, really, really disgusting to me because it's like, it, you know, like in the case of Lydia Bennett, she's 14 years yeah, old. She's, she's an abuse victim, basically. Teen years old. And she's faced with you know, grown adult men who are who are flirting with her and manipulating her and using her as a sexual object. And so it's like, you know, can you please give a 14-year-old girl a little leeway to be silly and to make stupid decisions? Um, and same thing with Amy. You know, she's a child through most of the most of the novel. You know, she, yeah, absolutely. And she's she's at odds with the character that uh, many fans relate to the most. Um, and but I think that Amy and Joe are at odds because they're most alike. Absolutely, out of all four, <laughs> um, they are far more like each other than any other combination of two. And I yeah. I talked earlier about how, oh, the relationships between the sisters, that's usually good. But I will say it was very strong in this film. Like, they had very believable yeah. family bonds. Uh, and their parents yeah. were great. And everyone was great. Really, just yeah. like an amazingly cast movie. Yeah. Yeah. Really well done. Uh, can't speak highly enough of it, um, honestly. And uh, the last thing I do want to say is that um, we we brought up uh, a New Yorker piece that uh, talked about the Marmy problem, quote unquote. And I won't get into that too much because I think it's worth it's worth a read if you're curious. Um, but I think it, it did bring up a point um, that I hadn't thought about before where uh, this story and Joe's perspective and by extension, Louise May Alcott's perspective um, is kind of bittersweet in that it's like, look at the, the joy of, of our lives growing up together and where we become, you know, all of us becoming adults, but also look at the limits of our lives because we are women. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's sort of like a story um, of going from a matriarchy to a patriarchy to at least we yeah. are the characters of Meg and Amy because yeah. Marmy is the ruler of the little women's sphere. Totally. Uh, and totally. I think that everyone <laughs> respects that. But um, I, I agree with that article, which kind of talks about how 
maybe it would be more powerful if we saw more of the rage and the temper that Marmy talks about that we never actually mm-hmm. see. But like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this really is the story through Joe's eyes and or through the other mm-hmm. girl's eyes. And Marmy mm-hmm. just doesn't show that side of herself to her daughters. It's a very conscious right. choice. Right. But, and I've mentioned this book before, for people who do want to see that side of Marmy and who want to read some, um, shall we say, love scenes between her and Captain March. Whoa. Uh, there's March by Geraldine Brooks, which uh, some yeah. of it flashes back or takes place when Marmy and Captain March are younger and we definitely see more of the temperamental side of her. And it's a fantastic award-winning book. So if that's what you're right. looking for, check that out. <laughs> Such yeah. a specific yeah. niche interest. <laughs> Very specific niche interest, but I'm glad it's out there. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think uh, my one of my favorite lines from um, from the movie, and I'm ashamed to say I haven't read the book in a very long time, good. so I don't know if it's also from the book. But when she um, she says to Meg on her wedding day, Joe says to Meg on her wedding day, you know, uh, you'll be bored of him in a couple of months, but we will be interesting forever. Uh, I think that's original to the movie, but I really liked it too. Yeah. It was a sweet. I scene. really, really yeah. liked it um, because to me, it 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 really captured the. The, just the frustration of like what it must have been like to be a woman and a, a creative woman trying to make things in that particular time period or in you know even the world today um so in the patriarchy well if you loved that gorgeous book that joe watched at the end if you could even see it through your tears because i think in my final watch oh my i cried harder at that part than any other part if you so good. if you love that book the movie tie-in book for this movie is that book what it's a reproduction of that book which itself is a reproduction of an yes. actual vintage little women you guys, I bought it. It's not even expensive. It is stunning. It's not just like, you know how most movie tie-in books are just crappy, like, publicity stills from the movie on yep. the cover? Like, don't tell me how to imagine the characters. How dare you? Right. Exactly. Back off. Yeah, yeah. This is just a reproduction of the book that Joe actually gets and holds in the movie. Except, obviously, it says Louisa May Alcott instead of J.L. March. Um, oh, that's awesome. But I can't recommend it enough. And for my final thought, um, I want to say on the tack of like being someone who through researching this podcast has become not just a fan of Little Women, but such a fan of Louise May Alcott. I loved the nod to her in the kind of restructured ending of the movie and how uh, Professor Bear and Joe getting together was something that Mr. Dashwood specifically demanded. Yes. I'm not one of those people who's like, it's an Inception-style ending. Did it even happen? No, Because the Marmy's no. birthday scene shows us clearly that like he is with her, the whole family yeah. is together, yeah. and they're probably married because... It's Civil War times, or <laughs> right? Bellum times, uh, <laughs> right? But I, I really loved how that kind of acknowledged that, like, 
all right you gotta see her end up with someone i thought it was right so she clever. has to be married it was it, yeah that like joe yes. even wants the fictionalized version of herself not to get married i i love that and it was beautiful and passionate and all those things that mr dashwood <laughs> wanted it to be but right. oh my gosh and i mean we could fill another hour just listing scenes from the movie that we <laughs> yes loved. but then there'd be no reason to keep listening to our podcast so on that right. note uh, Sammy, where can our listeners find you? Um, so uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Spock Girl, S-P-O-C-K-G-R-R-L. And then um, you can also check out my writing on HighlyIllogical.net. Um, it's a good time. And uh, then I also have a podcast which had a crossover episode with this podcast, um, Excessively Diverted, where uh, me and my friend Bo North watch modernizations of uh, classic novels uh, in film. And we started out just doing exclusively Austin adaptations and have since branched out because we ran out. Um, but um, it is very much a Jane Austen fan podcast and it's uh, it's a very fun, uh, good time. Well, lucky for you, you've got the Autumn DeWild Emma coming down the pike. So you'll have fresh, yes, can't wait. fresh, fresh Austin fodder suit. Or come visit yes. me in Chicago because there's a new Emma musical premiering at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Ooh, <laughs> I've been loving seeing some. I, I've been seeing a lot of Austin uh, theater lately. Um, it, at Christmas, we saw a uh, Miss Bennett Christmas at Pemberley that was about Mary I saw Bennett that two as years a ago. grown woman falling in love, and I loved I'm, it. I'm intimately so. familiar with that play. I love it. It's, it's like one of those things my mom fun. told me we were getting tickets. I literally rolled my eyes because I thought it would be really yes. bad, but it's surprisingly great. I was like, this great. sounds so dumb, and then I loved yeah. it. Well, so. again, another podcast for another day. Uh, yes. Is there already an episode of Excessively Diverted about it? There is not. We saw it as like our Christmas gift to each other. We got each other oh, tickets. Oh, fun. I was going to say, it, I was going to so. point listeners that way, but never mind. Just imagine <laughs> yeah, how good no. an episode about that would be. Uh, yeah. But of course, you can find more of our stuff here, wherever you're listening to this right now, or at littlewomenpodcast.com. Um, and thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate the support. Uh, until next time. I have been and will continue to be Shannon Camp. <laughs> and I have been and will continue to be Sammy. So, uh, thanks, yeah, everybody. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. Oh.